This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. Are you awake today? Are you excited to be here? Are you excited as I am? I hope you are because I'm pretty excited. It's a blessing to be with you again today. New Year's Eve. Tomorrow starts a new year. A next page in our chapter. Amen? And we have the opportunity to serve God more passionately than we ever have before. We have the opportunity to be closer to Him than we ever have before. And I hope today that you're making your commitments, not in your own strength, but in His strength, to be faithful to Him in 2013. Amen? How many of you went on outreach yesterday? Praise the Lord. The people that come to the morning devotionals always go on outreach, right? How many of you had the opportunity to pray with somebody yesterday? How many of you had the opportunity to give away some literature to somebody yesterday? I want you to know, did it impact your life? Was it powerful? Did you sense the Spirit of God with you? The angels of God were told, go with us, and they're walking beside us as we go from door to door. Do you realize that yesterday you were fulfilling Bible prophecy? Did you know that? Fulfilling Bible prophecy. Ellen White had a vision where she saw in the last days young people going from door to door, sharing literature, having prayer. Who knows that when she saw that vision, she didn't see your face. Amen? Lighted with the glow of the glory of heaven and with the love of Jesus in your hearts. What a privilege it is to serve Jesus. Amen? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I invite you to please pray for my wife this morning. I just found out that my son, who is now getting a little bit better, uh, has given this nasty thing to my wife. So she's sick. The whole family's sick, and I have to go there on Tuesday. So uh, thankfully, I didn't go there before I came to GYC. But please pray for her if you would, and pray for my son as well. By the, name, by the way, I don't think I've said his name. His name is Levi, Levi Wesley. So we gave him a Bible name and a family name. And so he's the joy of our hearts. I want to invite you this morning, if you would, to kneel with me together as we ask the Lord's blessing to be with us. Father in heaven, it's a great privilege to be here together today as the people of God in the last days of earth's history, shining brightly for you, forsaking all, drawing close to our Savior in worship in prayer, in study, in service. And Lord, today we want another outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We want to ask that your Spirit would come and would draw near to each one of our hearts and that we would be challenged today, we would be inspired but especially challenged, and that your Word would open up to us and convict us of those things that we need to do and not do and how we need to be closer to you. And we ask in a special way today that you would be close in a way that you haven't been before, and that you would transform us by the power of your word and by your spirit. 
And we ask today that a special outpouring of the Spirit be given. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a number of years ago, I was doing outreach. I was going door to door. And I was doing this in Denver, Colorado when I was an AFCO student. And uh, it was in the middle of winter. It was February. It was cold. There was a lot of snow on the ground. And we had to do outreach from early afternoon till late at night. Excuse me. Pray for me this morning. And when you do outreach on times such as that, you're out there in the middle of the darkness and we're knocking on doors. They told us, do not stop before such and such a time. Well, that was about three hours after it was dark because it was getting dark early because it was the winter time. So I'm going door to door. And uh, it's cold, it's raining, it's snowy, it's dark, and I'm hungry. And every week after outreach, my partner and I, Adam Ramden, my friend who preached on Sabbath morning, we had this tradition every Thursday night, we would go to the Thai restaurant and get some Pad Thai. I mean, like Pad Thai, amen? One of my favorite foods, I love it. And so every week we would go. And that particular day, we didn't have a very positive experience on outreach. There were a lot of people that were rejecting us, closing the door in our face, getting in our face, and etc. And as... as time was ticking, I was watching the clock and I said, you know, it's almost time to go. And all I wanted to do was go get my Pad Thai noodles, go home and take a hot shower and slide into bed because it had not been a very good day. So finally the time came when it was time to quit. And so I, I, I said, it's time to quit. It's time to go. And I took all my stuff and I threw it in my truck and I got in the truck and I started it waiting for my outreach partner. The problem was, is that there were three houses left on the street that I had not done. And I felt a prickling in my heart. The Holy Spirit said, you need to finish this street today. I said, Lord, I'll be glad to finish the street on our next day of outreach. It's time to go. You need to finish the street. Lord, it's getting late. People are going to start getting annoyed if I come to their house this late. You need to finish the street. Reluctantly, I said, Lord please. And the Lord said, I'm telling you, please go. I got my stuff back out. I went to the first door. I knocked on the door. Young dude answered the door. I said, hi, my name is Wes and I'm with such and such and I'm here to do a survey in your neighborhood just like you guys did yesterday. The guy looks at me and he looks outside and then he looks at me and he looks outside and he says, do you realize that it's dark it's cold and it's raining. And I said, yes. I said, that's exactly why I'm here. He says, you must be an absolute idiot. And he slammed the door in my face. Went to the next door. Lady answers the door. I said, hi, my name is Wes and I'm here to do a survey for you. About the time I could get my name out, she closes the door. And I'm like, Lord, are you testing my character? I said, it's time to go. The Lord said, go to the last house. I wasn't hearing voices, but you understand that that impression in your heart. And I went to the last door, and I knocked. And a lady opened the door. And I said, hi, my name is Wes, and I'm here to do a survey. And she says, please come in. I went in. And when I went in, I sat down. And she says, what do you have to offer me? And I went through the canvas, and at the end of the canvas, I invited this lady to do Bible studies. 
And when I did this, she sat there for a minute and just had this blank look on her face. And then all of a sudden, she like started to cry. And I was like, what in the world did I do? You know what I mean? And I'm like, ma'am, are you okay? What did I, did I say something offensive? Are you, are you all right? And she says, you don't understand. She says, when I was growing up, she says, I lived in an abusive home. My father claimed to be a Christian when we went to church. And on the way home, he would scream and holler at us kids and my mother. And when we got home, he would beat us all the way into our rooms. Claimed to be a Christian, but he really wasn't. And she says, and as I grew up, I never was able to get over that. She'd had a number of tragedies in her life. And she said, three months ago, I said to God, she said, God, if you're real, I want you to reveal yourself to me. And she says, if you have a purpose for my life, you have meaning for me in my life, I want you to reveal yourself to me. She says, and if you don't, she says, I'm giving you three months, three months to do this. And if you don't, after three months, I'm going to end my life. She was on disability. She had all kinds of problems. She couldn't work. She couldn't even really leave her house that much. And she said, God, I'm giving you three months. And she looked me in the eye and she said, every day I prayed that prayer, God, you have this many days left. And she said, today is the last day of those three months. What if I would have waited until Sunday? What if I would have waited and said, no, Lord, there's, there's always another day. There's always another time. I don't need to go today. I can go tomorrow. I can go the next day. That day may have been too late. When I knocked on that house the next day, there may have been yellow police tape around it. I want to tell you today, friends, that there are people all around the world like this. Like this. I want to read a statement to you from the book Acts of the Apostles, page 109. It's going to be on the screen. I asked them to put that on the screen. And it says this, all over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls, longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. Can you imagine that, friends? There are people all across secular Seattle who are praying in their homes that God would send someone to them or in some way he would reveal himself. There are people in your neighborhoods at home who are waiting for God to send someone to them. It could be your neighbor. It could be your fellow student. It could be anyone that is very close to you. But there are souls who are waiting for God to show up. And God wants to show up through you. Amen? God wants to show up through you. Yesterday, friends, we looked at what drove the church, which was the power of the what? The power of the word. And we are going today to look at what it was that gave life to the church. Mission and evangelism brought life to the early Testament church. It was that which was always, in the history of humanity, it is always that which has resurrected the church. And in the last days, it is when God's people get serious about mission and evangelism that God will do great things in and through His church. Amen? I want to invite you today to learn with me to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we are going to look at a very familiar text. 
very familiar text to most of us, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Verse 8, are you there this morning? The Bible says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. Here were the 12 disciples gathered together with Jesus in the final moments of their time with Him. These were some of the final words that Jesus gave to them. And He gave them one of the most impossible tasks that humanity could ever have. He gave them the task of reaching the world with the gospel message. Something that was accomplished only by the work of His Spirit and something that has not been accomplished since that time. They gave them, he gave them an impossible task, but He gave them a... a Though the task was impossible, he gave them a very possible promise. Amen? He said, you will receive what, everyone? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to notice this, that the apostles is very powerful because in the John 14, Jesus says that he would give him his spirit, them his spirit, and he would, he would be with them and in them. The disciples didn't realize it in that moment. But after Pentecost, Jesus was closer to them than he was when he walked with them on the earth. Because instead of being standing beside them in human form, he was now dwelling in them by faith through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Christ wants to be so close to us that he will dwell in us. And the promise that was given to them that they would receive all power by the faith in, the, in Christ in the Spirit, He promises to give us today. I want you to notice this very interesting statement from the book Acts of the Apostles, page 37. It says this, like a procession, scene after scene of His wonderful life passed before them. As they meditated on His pure holy life, they felt that no toil would be too hard, no sacrifice too great if only they could bear witness in their lives to the loveliness of Christ's character. Imagine that, friends. How many of us today shrink from hardship? How many of us today withdraw from the things that we think are too hard? We think, oh, no, that's too hard for me. Somebody else will do it. Well, what if everybody else says somebody else will do it? Then nobody else ever does it. They were united in mission. They recognized that this mission that Christ had called them to was so much bigger than themselves, and it drove them to their knees in the upper room. You see, brothers and sisters, today, I don't think that we truly understand the greatness of our mission. Because if we did, it would be driving us to our knees in our local church. It would be driving us to our knees at prayer meeting. It would be driving us to our knees in Sabbath morning. And God would want to do something great through us if we could only have the picture of the mission that He has laid before us like He did the apostles. They believed that they could not fail. How many of us think that we cannot fail? Let me ask you a question, friends. It, does Jesus ever fail? Yes or no? If we have Christ dwelling within us, we cannot fail. We cannot ever fail. They had overcome the problems that they had prior to the cross. 
jealousy, arrogance, pride had been dominating their hearts, had been ruling their hearts. And through an upper room experience, Christ transformed them. Amen? How many of us today are dealing with those same sins? Don't raise your hand. I want you to notice this other statement here from Acts of the Apostles, page 37. It says, one interest prevailed. One object swallowed up all others. All hearts beat in what, everyone? Harmony. The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of His kingdom. Can you imagine a church filled with people that had this mission, this desire burning in their hearts? GYC, is this, is this desire burning in your hearts today? To be one with Christ is the only ambition in your life to reveal the character of Christ to a lost and dying world. Today, we see so many problems in the church. We see it even right here at GYC. Pride, arrogance, jealousy. One ministry is better than the other. One evangelism training school is better than the other. One university is better than the other. I used to work at AFCO, worked there for five years, some of the greatest years of my life. And people, when I would come, they would come to me at the booth and they would say, what makes AFCO better than Arise? Or what makes AFCO better than Mission College or Life or whatever? And you know what I would tell people? I would say, you know what? God uses every school to reach different people. Amen? There is no place in God's church for competition among people, upon ministries, upon of schools. None of that, friends. They delighted when someone else did better than them. Sometimes we get jealous because people uh, will ask someone else to do special music, someone else to teach Sabbath school, someone else to preach, someone else to do something in the church. We get jealous about that when we ought to be praising God that God has chosen somebody to do His work. And God will use you according to His will. There is no place for this. I got to tell you, friends, I have a confession to make. Several years ago, I used to get very jealous over other speakers. I used to look at youth conferences, and I'm just being vulnerable here. I used to look at other youth conferences and I would say, why does that person ask to speak? I'm just as good of a speaker as them. In fact, I think myself better than them. I had that problem in my heart a few years ago. And let me tell you what, friends. It took me laying on my back in the hospital dying from cancer to realize that that is a bunch of foolishness. And there is no place for it in God's church. And today, by the grace of God, I can honestly say I rejoice when I see other speakers And I say, you know what, Lord, that speaker has this talent. He's going to speak to the young people in this way. And I praise God that he taught me that important lesson. Brothers and sisters, God was merciful to me laying in that hospital bed, and he raised me up because he knew I was not ready to die. He knew I was not ready to die. He was merciful. 
Friends, we see these problems in our church. We're trying to compete with each other while the world around us perishes. Perishes. Have you looked in the obituary section of the newspaper lately? Have you ever done that? Sometimes I'll have a paper and I'll look through the obituary section, the section that announces the deaths. And I think to myself, my goodness, I wonder if this person died without Christ. I wonder if this person knew Jesus before they passed. Currently, we assume that we're continuing in the book of Acts. We're continuing the revelation or the revolution. But really, we are like the apostles. Some of us are like the apostles before the cross in the upper room asking, who's going to wash my feet? Which one is the greatest? These are the reasons why young people leave the church today. We need to be unitedly working together. Enough of selfish competition, whether it's in your church, whether it's in this conference, or whether it's in your heart, God says enough is enough. We need to have an upper room experience. Notice this statement, Acts the Apostles 37, putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy They came close together in Christian fellowship. If we could but see the depth of our mission, the way that the apostles saw it, how might our attitudes be different today? How might our attitudes be different? We need that upper room experience. One of their greatest strengths was that they had a collective mission to accomplish, and it drove them to seek Christ like they had never done before. Mission, revolutionary mission. Amen? That's what we need. The second thing that we need is to have revolutionary evangelism. Revolutionary what, everyone? Evangelism. Are you guys awake this morning? All right. Look with me in the book, chapter 2 of Acts. Chapter 2 of Acts, and we're going to jump to the very end of Acts, or the very end of the chapter, and then we're going to come back. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Notice what it says. The Bible reads, so conti- oh, I'm sorry, verse 46 and 47. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking their bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church how often? Daily. Those who would be saved. Think about this, friends. They were not having baptisms once a quarter. They were not having baptisms once a year. They were not having baptisms once a decade like some of our churches do today. They were having baptisms how often? Daily. And what do you see? There's two words in there that I want you to take note of. What was the church doing when evangelism was taking place? What were they doing? Praising God. Do you know what the solution is for many of our churches today who have problems? Go win somebody for Christ. You know what the solution is for you in self-pity and self-feeling uh, sorry for yourself? Get out of yourself and go win somebody for Jesus. Get over yourself. The best way to get over your own problems is to help somebody else help with their problems. What I found many times is that people come to me with problems and they say, I have this problem, that problem. And I think, man, I don't want to talk to you about your problems. I have my own problems. Right? 
But you know, in talking with them and counseling through with them, I find the answer and the counsel to my own problem. And God gives me what I need by helping somebody else. Amen? Evangelisms. Thousands were converted in a day. What a real evangelistic series. Amen? They were experiencing baptisms daily. Evangelism brings new life to the church in a major way. Many times we're spiritually dead because we spent too much time studying, too much time praying, and not enough time out there sharing what we know with somebody else. When Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you shall be witnesses to me in all the world, he wasn't just talking to those disciples who were standing there in front of him. He was speaking to every disciple that walks this earth claiming the name of Christ claiming to be a Seventh-day Adventist. You are not a Seventh-day Adventist if you are not willing to share what you know with someone else. You are a Seventh-day hermit. Adventist. Believe in the advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And they proclaim the second coming of Christ. Amen? They proclaim it. Each person in the early church recognized, every person recognized that they had an individual, personal responsibility and accountability to win souls for Christ. The thought of precious souls being saved in the uh, uh, kingdom eternally drove the disciples forward. They thought about those people in their homes who were hopeless, who were, who were uh, sad and who were ridden down with sin, and they went out of themselves to go and reach that person. And God is calling that to us today. Notice this statement, Christian service, 145. The ultimate, I call it the ultimate challenge, says this, let every Seventh-day Adventist ask himself, what can I do to proclaim the third angel's message. Somebody should have said a louder amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. Christ came to this world to give this message to his servant to give to the churches. It is to be proclaimed to every nation, kindred, (coughs) tongue, and people. Christ gave his best when he came to this earth for you. And he calls you to give your best for somebody else today. He calls you to win a soul to him. There is individual accountability in spreading God's last day message. Jesus said, go into all the world, but we're often too afraid to even go across the street. You cannot go around the world until you're willing to go across the street. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people of God, but now are the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. There is no one better qualified to share the message of Christ and his last day truth with others than you. Because you were called out of darkness. Not even the angels are better qualified. We're always so worried that we're not qualified, friends. We're always so worried that that we don't have what it takes. If you have been delivered from the depths of sin, the pit of sin in your life, if Christ has drawn you out and given you new life and new hope, then you are the one he calls to go to someone else. 
You are the one that he is depending upon. You are the one that heaven wants to use. When we look at the results of the book of Acts, we often think of the excitement of the numbers, do we not? We often think, oh man, 3,000 in a day, etc., etc. But I want you to look at another perspective that oftentimes we don't see. <coughs> in Acts chapter 2, very, very powerful chapter. Peter and the apostles are in the upper room. God begins to fill them with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, and they go out to preach the message. And here they are, preaching their hearts out, full of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice something that happens here. Acts chapter 2 and verse 13. Well, let's just start... um, Let's just start in verse 8. It says, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then they go on to list them. And I want you to drop down to verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they are all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? And notice verse 13. Here is a passage, here is a verse that is powerfully pregnant with meaning. It says, Others mocking said they are full of what? New wine. Think about this. The apostles were there that day, full of Pentecost power, preaching the gospel to thousands in a divine miracle that was obvious to many. And here somebody is standing beside, and they said, these guys are a bunch of drunks, a bunch of fools. And they are preaching and speaking a bunch of nonsense. They're full of liquor. Look at them. Fools. One of the things that made the revolution in Acts powerful was that despite what anyone said against them. The disciples were willing to endure hard, cruel ridicule for Christ. They were willing to stand in the face of great opposition. Great opposition. People who were mocking them. How many of you have ever been mocked for sharing Jesus? How many of you, and, and many times today when we get mocked, we don't like it, we want to tuck tail and run. But the disciples were willing to stand firm. They were willing to press through that wall. And that wall, being afraid of being mocked, is nothing but selfishness. Because we're worried about what others think. Many people are afraid to share Jesus for several reasons. Number one, they're afraid that they will say the wrong thing. How many of you have ever been afraid of that before? I'm going to give you a quick illustration. Let's suppose that you had 10 people that you were going to witness to, and God impresses you to witness to those people, and you go to them, and you say, hey, you know, I want to tell you about Jesus. Would you like to have Bible studies? And out of those 10 people, four of those people say, man, you must be a complete idiot. You must be out of your mind. Absolutely not. Get out of my face. And then the second group of people say, yeah, sure, I'll study with you, six people. And then you study with those six people, and in th- and three, three of those people, you say something really dumb. How many of you have ever said something dumb? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to raise both hands on that one. And the person says, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to continue to study with you. 
But three of those people say, yes, I will study with you. And you can learn from your mistakes. And you continue to study with them. And they say, yes, I want to accept Jesus. Yes, I want to be baptized. Yes, I want to join God's end time church. How many people have you won for the kingdom? Think about this. If you say nothing because you are afraid of saying the wrong thing, how many of those people might be lost? All ten. Is it better to say nothing because we're afraid to say the wrong thing? Or is it better to say something, trusting and believing that God will give us the right words for the moment? How many of you believe that to be so? Amen. Did people, it's not your mistakes, young people, that hold you accountable, that God holds you accountable as much as your inactivity. Did you hear what I said? Let me say that again. It is not as much your mistake that God holds you accountable for as your inactivity. Do not be inactive. God will help you learn from your mistakes. God was gracious. He is merciful. And every mistake is an opportunity to build and to grow. Second thing, people are afraid that they will say no. Are you afraid of that? Let me ask you a question. Have people ever say no to Jesus? John chapter 6, verse 66. John 6, 6, 6. Many of his disciples turned and walked with him no more. Did people ever say no to the disciples? Yes or no? Absolutely. Did anyone say no to you on outreach yesterday? Was it the end of the world? Are you still alive? Are you still here? It doesn't matter if they say no. Because you're bringing them to decision. Did someone slam the door in your face? Let me see your hands. Some of you got doors slammed in your face. You know what I say to that? Praise God. You know why? Because it's teaching you to depend more upon Christ than upon yourself. It's teaching you to eliminate pride from your heart. Praise God. That will build your character. Jeremiah 12, 5, if you can't run with the footman, how are you going to run with the horsemen? What are you going to do when the Calvary comes? Look at the persecution. The disciples were thrown in jail. The disciples were beaten. The disciples were stoned. They were dragged out. They were cursed. They were even killed. And brothers and sisters, it made them stronger. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. God does not ask us to step out of our comfort zones. He tells us. He tells us. How comfortable do you think it was for Jesus to leave heaven and come to save your soul on this earth? I don't think it was very comfortable for him. I got to tell you a story. I'm rapidly running out of time. Seemed like that clock went twice as fast today. When I was in Ukraine a few years ago, there's a young man. His name was Andre, 20 years old. I was doing an evangelistic series. The young man had never heard of God before in his life. He came to this evangelistic series. And night after night, he heard the truth about Jesus. And he accepted Christ into his life. And he was embracing the truths that are unique to our church, unique to our message. And this young man was preparing for baptism. And I was so excited because he had come so far. And on the day of the baptism, guess what? He didn't show up. And I was like, what? And so we called him, and he said, I woke up to come to the baptism. He said, my heart began to 
skip beats. And he said, I went to the hospital and they said, I have a major heart problem. And he says, and they've kept me in the hospital and they will not let me leave to the hospital until like three weeks when the surgeon can come. He says, but I have to see you. He says, is there going to be another baptism? I said, this weekend there'll be another one. He says, I'm going to come to the church and meet. I said, how are you going to get out? He says, I don't know, but I'll get out. He says, meet me on this day at this time at the church. I said, okay. I came and there he was. I said, brother, how did you get out? He said, they had a guard beside my door because I told them I needed to leave. And they said, no. He says, so I opened the window. (laughs) Second, second story of the hospital. He says, I opened the window and I jumped out the window and I had to come here and talk to you. He says, I want to be baptized. He says, but there's a problem. My parents have told me, staunch orthodox, He said, my parents told me that if I get baptized, I'm no longer their son. And they said, do not come home. They said, and if you do come home, we will kill you. And they meant it. He said, but I have to get baptized. That next Sabbath, there he was. I said, brother, how'd you get out? He says, I jumped through the window again. (laughs) And he gave his life to Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning, friends. If there are those who are willing to give all to come to know Jesus, to follow Christ, should we not be willing to give up all to lead them to Christ? What about you today, friends? In a special sense, we're told, Seventh-day Adventists, Evangelism, page 119, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as a watchman and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, which means importance, The proclamation of the first, the second, the third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. Not your career, not your doctor career, not your nurse career, not your janitor career, not your whatever career. But the greatest work to be done on this earth is the proclamation of God's last day truth. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Not a boyfriend. Not a girlfriend, not school, not work. Now, I'm not saying school is not important. Don't, don't come up to me and tell me all that. I know it's important. But this should be the first priority in our lives. Proclaiming Christ, living for Him, and telling others about Him. <clears throat> let nothing distract you, young people. Let not a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a job, let nothing distract you because the devil will always have something for you, some path for you to walk down, but rise above it to accomplish great things for God. Do whatever it takes to be the most effective for Him. Amen? Amen. Self is often the greatest obstacle of mission, and if you are willing to get self out of the way, God will finish the book of Acts through your life. God will finish the book of Acts through your life. The revolution was able to move forward because they were willing to take the bull by the horn, so to speak. 
And God today, in this crowd, in this congregation, God is looking for some young person who will take the bull by the horns and say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Use me. The final point I want to make, we're drawing to a close. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 5. This is a very crucial point. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to what, everyone? (coughs) To lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. I want you to notice several real quick points about these people. We read in the book Acts of the Apostles, there's a chapter on these people. We read that they were there, Ananias and Sapphira were there in the upper room when the apostles prayed and the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. They were moved by His unction, and they were moved to make a commitment, to make a what, everyone? To make a commitment and a vow to sell a certain piece of property and give the money for the forwarding work of the gospel. They were there. We're told in Acts of the Apostles 71 that under the direct influence of the Spirit of God, Ananias and Sapphira made that pledge to give the Lord proceeds. But I want you to think about this. After they made the pledge, they then began to backtrack. After the glamour of the moments passed, after they had made that commitment to Christ, they began to go the opposite direction. And the selfish desires of their hearts began to drown out the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do what God had called them to do. Do you see this, young people? They talked it over, and they both decided not to do it. Beware of counseling with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear. They were ashamed to give nothing, we're told, so they gave just a little bit of what they had sold to maintain their reputation with the church. Today, Are there not Ananias, Ananiases and Sapphira's among us? Some of you in past GYCs have made commitments. You've come forward for the appeals to do something for Christ. 
Some preachers, great preachers, I remember Jeffrey Rosario a number of years ago, Sebastian Braxton, all these guys, they have made appeals for you to come and to do mission work, to give your life in a year's worth of mission work. They made appeals for you to go get training from some evangelism missionary school, and you came forward for those appeals. But when you got home, the selfish desires of your life took control once again. And you said, oh, I didn't really think that I would have to do this much to fulfill that commitment. I didn't think that I would have to go this far. I didn't really think I'd have to quit my job. I mean, I make six figures. I I support the church financially. But God was calling you into ministry. And you made a commitment to God. And you went home and you forgot about that commitment. Is it not the same as what they did? And the Bible says that God was so, that that was such a tragic thing in the early church that they died. I'm not saying God's going to kill you. But a part of your spiritual life may die because you have not been faithful to God. It was a vow that you made. Others of you have made vows to God in different areas of your life. And you've not been faithful in those vows. Today, friends, God is speaking to your heart like he spoke to Elijah. When Elijah ran from what God called him to do and hid in the cave, God came to him and said, Elijah, what doest thou here? What doest thou here? And young people today, God is asking you the question. If you have ran from your commitment to him, what doest thou here? I have called you to do a work for me. And do not listen to anyone else, but listen to the voice of God of heaven. Dear friends, we cannot afford to go back. I wonder, friends, if you had followed the conviction that God laid in your heart when you made that commitment to him that year, if we might not be having GYC in heaven today. If you had followed through with that commitment, God could have used you and the thousands of young people who backtracked on their commitment to Him to finish the work and we could be in heaven today. I wonder, I wonder. In the end, it will not matter, young people, if we say to God, I had a career to take care of. I had a family to take care of. Those things are important. But God is calling us today, be faithful and those commitments. For the love of God, GYC, do not go back home and do nothing, but do something for God. Preach an evangelistic series. Start learning how to give Bible studies. Start a a campus on your school. Do something for Christ. Make a commitment to Him today that you will do something for Him. We're going to close with a story, and I'm going to make a short appeal. There was a man a number of years ago who had a dream. He was a new pastor, and he went to his new church, and in a drawer, he found a number of Bible study interest cards that nobody had ever followed up on. And he took those cards, and some of them were just a few months old. Some of them were 8, 10, 15 years old, and no one had ever followed up on them. And he said, 
Man, he said, I'm so busy. I cannot follow up on these cards. They're old. These people probably moved away. It's going to be a big waste of my time. And so he just pushed them aside. He put them back in the drawer and closed it. And one night he had a dream. And he dreamed that he was inside the holy city. And as he looked through the glass of those walls, there were people who were coming up to the wall, looking at him. And they pulled out of their pocket the Bible study interest card. And he saw it and he recognized the name that he had neglected. And they said, we asked for Bible studies. We asked you to come. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you do what God asked you to do? And now here we are, outside the city. Young people, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today, but I'm helping you see the reality that those whom you neglect to share Christ with, whom He has impressed you to share with, you will have to face those people in the judgment. God today is calling us to be faithful to the commitment that we made to Him. Two appeals. God is asking to do something extremely big for Him. And it doesn't even always have to be big. Just do the work that lies nearest. And as you're faithful in that, God will increase your responsibilities. But I'm challenging you today to lead somebody to Christ, to witness when God impresses you, to speak, to be bold, to not be afraid of ridicule, but to be willing to say, God, I will be a fool for you if that's what it takes. There may be somebody here today that says, I want to accept that challenge that Christ is giving to me. I want to be the one that God uses, not because it's about me, but it's about Him. And His glory is displayed when He does a work through a sinful piece of clay like me. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are. Stand wherever you are. The second appeal is very specific. Some of you have attended GYC for the first time, and I'm not speaking to you in this moment, but I'm speaking to some of you who are here today who may be watching as well on the video. Maybe you made that commitment to God years ago or last year or whenever it was to go that year of overseas service, to go to an, a, an evangelism training school, to do whatever it was that God called you, and you have not fulfilled that commitment. You made a vow before God, and He expects you to keep it today. And you want to say in your heart, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to fulfill that commitment. I'm going to remember what I promised you. I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand wherever you are. Raise your hand and let the God of heaven see that you're renewing by the strength that he will give you to renew that commitment in your life. May God help us, friends, to make a difference, to make an impact on the world around us for Christ today. Is that your desire this morning? I invite you to bow your heads as we close with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have called us as a people to make a difference in this world for you. To be faithful in the commitment that you've called us to. And Lord, we need your spirit, we need your grace. We need to recognize that we have personal accountability, a personal responsibility 
to play our part in this church. We are the only us that you have. And we have the unique personality to reach some soul for you. And I pray that you'll empower us. I pray that you'll inspire us. And that the love for Jesus and a desire to see souls won to the kingdom will drive us on through the ridicule, through the trial, through the complications, through the difficulties. And we will see your glory displayed powerfully in our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.